Welcome into Tailgate. Asa Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. Actually sunny today. Like it got up to 82 degrees 82 today. 82 degrees. Yesterday was 30. Yeah. That's the Cincinnati weather for you. Yeah. I remember when I first got here, someone said, if you don't like the weather in Cincinnati, wait 15 minutes. That's oh, really what it is. That's fucking every city in America besides no. California. Yeah, I know. So congratulations. Good. I, I feel good. <laughs> on that intro, if you watch on YouTube, why is your face so fucking shiny in that? Damn it, that's a I, swear word. That's 20 to St. Yeah, James. Yeah, you didn't even need it. I didn't need that didn't one. Need I didn't um, need, I want that one back. I have a I have naturally oily face, I feel like. I don't know. That's Do you I moisturize don't, I don't or wash it. anything? Oh, yeah, that's right. You remember? So, you don't wash it or brush your teeth or anything. That's crazy. I was very tan there, which... Sadly, you love to see. Not right now. Uh, other pieces on the Catch and Early Buzz. You're going on PTO. Paid time going off. Salt Lake City. Never been. I'm going to go skiing. Also never been skiing. So may come back with torn ACL. Who knows? Dude, Probably you, shouldn't put that out in the world. But Jeez. Dude, the, skiing skiing can mess you up yeah. if you don't know what you're doing. Oh, I know. <laughs> Has I'm, your girlfriend ever been skiing? No. Uh, so this is going to be an intro, but my buddy lives out there, and he skis, and so he'll teach I will say, I will say skiing or snowboarding with a significant other, a partner, where you both don't know how is so much better, infinitely better than one of you knowing how. Because okay. if one of you know how, it's awful. You want to go on the – say you oh, know how and she yeah. doesn't. It's, ter it's terrible. It's terrible. Would not firmly it's recommend. Like, let me go I am kind of stunned that you're not going to go snowboarding. Snowboarding's, uh, I, in my opinion, more fun. But I, in my youth, I probably would have gone snowboarding to try to act cool. Mm -hmm. In my old age, I've realized that – there's no, there's no sort of, you don't get any <laughs> glamour points for hopping on a snowboard and looking like a fool and attempting to. I just want to, I want to go snowboarding. I just want to not die and just have a clean, fun time. Don't do any jumps. Don't do any rails. Just yes. get down the hill. Exactly. Also take a lesson. An hour lesson ahead yeah. of time will like, I in all seriousness, that. work wonders. Really? I've never yes. taken a lesson. I My first time, it took me about two hours to start being able to go down the hills. Okay. I, I think uh, it was beat. a lot of fun, though, and I want to go back. I want to do more snowboarding. Snowboarding's great. I'm excited for Take, you. Salt Lake City, Master Gators. You can come. You can come. Master Gators, if you're in Salt Lake City, give – Hit a brother up. Hit, hit Mike up with some recommendation, some recommendations. Uh, that's all I have for the Catch and Only Buzz. I was going to mention some Liver King content that I've been consuming, but I don't want to show the users. Liver King needs to figure it out. Liver King's content. You need to adopt the Liver King lifestyle. Is what I'm I not think. You're adopting. So with them. I'm not adopting the Liver King lifestyle, but the content I think needs you to. You see improve. how shredded he is. You're talking about trying to lose weight. It's you true. saw it showed the picture of you from last year's draft show. You get the Liver King lifestyle. You'll be fucking six pack by summer. Maybe. 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 Maybe summer's put, coming up. Close. Maybe we put a. <laughs> we, maybe we put like a charity drive together for X thousands of dollars, and I'll eat a full Liver King meal on on camera here for a week. For a week. No, not for a week. I'll do one liver concoction and all that stuff. Maybe. Who knows? Let's not get into that. But just remember that this podcast is sponsored by, presented by Manscaped. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this offseason is Manscaped. The leaders, are you going Manscaped before you go to Utah City? Duh. Okay. Love that. Utah City is not what it's called. The leaders yeah, Utah City is. <laughs> the leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position We'll be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340. What, how fast is your skill position? Sleek enough. Support four us two, and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. Because of the ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not the important pieces of your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that 
long nose hair is a major turnoff. The Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped is partnered with Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off plus for shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus for shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with manscaped.com. I think before Manscaped, I was more like a fourth-round pick, and now I'm like a top-10 kind of guy. Ooh. Just because of that, that that big of a rise. It's it's a significant change. It's a significant change. On to our running back rankings. I am excited to talk about this running back class. There are with running backs. It's interesting. I don't think it's. I think of any position where it's. I think it's difficult to rank them like purely like this guy ahead of this guy, this guy ahead of this guy. Your RB ten versus your RB fifteen. I do or position ten versus your position fifteen. I think running back is the hardest because my opinion is. It's so with like such so few running backs in today's NFL actually are like true three down players that get 300 carries a season. So many of these are just like backfields by committee and who you're looking for, like to complement your backfield and all that stuff. I see it as like there's a handful of guys in this class that are like starters or potential starters in the NFL, guys that are like leading off your backfield. And then everyone else is like this hodgepodge of like some of them are like short yarded sumper types, some of them are terrible as receivers, some of them are good receivers but not good runners. I, I found it very difficult once I got to like RB six to say what's the real difference between rb7 and rb15 in this class that's kind of where i was i'm not super high on this running back class i don't think there's a lot of like stars in this class i don't think i draft any of these guys ahead of round three like and that's part of me is that is factoring positional value but like seeing Brees hall kenneth walker mocked in the first round of some drafts i'm not taking either of those backs in the first round and i don't even think i'm taking them in the second round knowing the difference between you know the RB3, RB4 in this class and the RB12, RB13, I don't think is that fast. I really don't. I think there's a lot of guys that can do what you want them to do in, in, in different roles. Are there a lot of starters? No. But I think there are a lot of complementary pieces. Yeah, and that's, that's typical of the running back yeah. position. But I will say this year, uniquely, few guys I trust come in right away and be like starters. You talk about two years ago, you had the group of Antonio Gibson, Jonathan Taylor, um, I can keep going here, but maybe I can't. I'm blanking on a lot of those names in that class. The uh, J.K. Dobbins, like that like group of – there was like six guys at the top where it's like this class has six guys that can come in and be starters. Last year we said it was kind of a group of three at the top that could come in and be starters with Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams. This year I see it as a group of two. You don't even see it as a group of two. You see it as a group of one. You see it as just Kenny Walker. I think Brees Hall and Kenny Walker are the two guys you can come in and say that's a starter day one. The rest, it's going to be either role – Either there's no one else in your backfield for them to see the start full-time starter, but I don't think there's anyone else in this class I really trust to say this guy can get 200 carries from the day one. Mm-hmm. That's about it. To start, Definitely. I have tiers built out as starter tier, potential starter tier, but even then, like I'm not super high on a lot of the guys in this second tier. Then there's I have a thumper tier and a somewhat bursty explosive tier. I hate your tiers, by the way. Then I have a tier meh, where like, I don't think they're starters. I don't think they're elite at anything. And they're just going to be running backs in the NFL. Let's go here. Let's hear, let's hear your tier. Let's hear your guys. Okay. So my starter tier is, is one person. It's Kenneth Walker, the third from Michigan state. I feel really good about him being a starter in the NFL. Really good. I love, I think his pass protection needs to be completely revamped. I don't think he's anywhere near from a technique perspective of being a good pass protector. Does he have the want to and the gumption? Absolutely. And his, his receiving ability is low. And I think that needs to be re- reworked as well. I put in my notes, he's a gatherer 
at the receiving. He gathers balls rather than like hand catching balls. Like he, every time he's catching, he's like catching a fucking whale. Like, oh, that's two. Anyway, he's catching a whale and gathering these passes, and it leads to just not seeing a lot of whales get caught. Too many. I'll say too many. On the weekend. <laughs> um, Gatherer, though, is, is kind of what I had in my notes because I don't think he's a clean hands catcher. I don't think a lot of backs in this class are clean hands catchers. Um, but he's my number one. I love his force miss tackle ability. I think he gets up and down north-south really well. Uh, I think he can work in multiple running systems or offensive schemes, whether it's zone blocking, counter power, all that stuff. I think he's that good. I think he's a starter in the NFL, still not taking him until round three. That's part of that's positional value, and a lot of that also is that I just don't – Kenneth Walker, as good as I think he is, between him and – Pierre Strong Jr., who I think is going to be maybe a, a, a round three, round four guy when it's all said and done, or even some of the thumper tiers that I have, I, I, I don't think it's that different. But my potential starter tier is Brees Hall of Iowa State, Pierre Strong Jr., uh, South Dakota State, Brian Robinson Jr. of Alabama, Keontae Ingram, who I am planning my flag on. I am Ooh. a big fan of Keontae Ingram as a potential starter. I think he's going to get drafted maybe in the sixth or seventh round, not go undrafted. But I do think he's better than a lot of these other backs. If you're looking for guys that lead off your backfield, are there better backs that can come in and be like complimentary pieces but not offer the wholesale? Yes. But I think he has this potential to be like a complete back. I think he's that good. Receiving ability, I love his hands. Anyway, Abram Smith of Baylor is also in that potential starter tier. I like Zamir White of Georgia. And I think Kennedy Brooks is in this potential starter tier for me. I don't think he's better than some of the complimentary backs, but I still like him as a complete skill set type of back. I think he's getting slept on a bit. He's not fast. I was going to say, I think you're the first person I've seen even talk about Kennedy Brooks. I'll say this. He's not fast, and I don't think any back in this back, any back really after like some of the first few are fast. Like It's a very slow running back class. A lot of like four fives, four sixes guys, and even the guys that are fast, the four three types, like Isaiah Pacheco of Rutgers or Brees Hall, I don't see that speed on tape. Like, you don't even see the, the fast guys look fast on tape. So, my thumper tier, Damian Pierce, best thumper of them all. If you're looking for a guy that's a bowling ball of butcher knives that can complement your backfield, I'm a big Pierce guy. I don't think he's a wholesale starter, right? I don't think he has the size requisite for that. I don't think his pass catching ability is great enough for that. But I do think he can be and come in and be a complimentary piece. Same with Hassan Haskins, who I think is a plotter type, but will go north-south, lower a shoulder, or jump right over you. I like Hassan Haskins of Michigan. I like Tyler Algier of BYU as well, and I think there's probably part of me that wants to put him in the potential starter tier, but I don't love the speed. I don't love the quicks. He's more of like the best type of, I, I think I like his vision. I like how he plays the position more than I like the athlete. And with the running back position, I'm chasing athleticism or elite traits. Force miss tackles, yards after contact, contact balance. I think Algier has some of that, but none of the explosive I'm looking for. Isaiah Spiller I have in the thumper tier, but honestly, he he's one of my least favorite hyped backs in this class. I don't like the Texas A&M back Isaiah Spiller. Turns like a freaking private jet. Like it's not... It's not what I want, the running back position. Could he be this thumper type? Maybe. Kyron Williams also in that tier, the Notre Dame back. And I honestly was impressed with Kevin Harris. Kevin Harris of South Carolina is another running back I have in the thumper tier. Somewhat bursty, explosive tier. Guys that I think come in and you can offer in pass catching roles or get out in space and have some success with. Are all of them perfect hands catchers? No, but I think they offer enough explosiveness, enough quicks to potentially impact that area. Saquon so J. Wright of South Carolina, Rashad White of Arizona State, James Cook, who I don't know if he's going to be ever a starter in the NFL, but he's got some of the most quicks on tape of any running back in this class. I think James Cook uh, of is 
is you 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 turn on his tape after watching Isaiah Spiller, Hassan Haskins, Brees Hall, Kennedy Brooks. You're like, okay, that guy can actually move in a yard. You know, move in a phone booth a little bit. Tyler Beatty of Mich- uh, of uh, uh, Missouri. I also have in that tier. Bam Knight, North NC State. I really like his kick return ability. Was not super high on Jerome Ford on the rewatch. I think he's getting a bit overhyped. Former Alabama transfer played at University of Cincinnati. Pacheco has that speed, the Rutgers back, and then Ty Chandler I have in that tier as well, but at the bottom of the bursty explosive tier. And then my last tier, this is the tier of don't draft these guys until round six, round seven. And honestly, I don't know what you're really getting when like I'd rather sign like a running back off the street or draft something else. Uh, Tyrion Davis Price of LSU. Sincere McCormick is so small. The UTSA running back, even though he brings a punch, really small player. Devontae Price is the weirdest running back in this class. He runs like a skyscraper his pad level is he runs with perfect posture which is insane you see so many more people like running with a forward lean that's the fiu back the Devontae price tj pledger i hardly know her the utah back is a little tiny similar to sincere mccormick in my opinion like smaller size same with jerry on ely of ole miss max borgie too small not really explosive not as explosive as some of these other bursty types cj verdell not a huge fan of really small tyler goodson some people like tyler goodson not a fan of Tyler Goodson. He was a top Iowa. five back from Mel Kuyper, like midseason. No. Tyler Goodson, I'm off of Tyler Goodson. And then last but not least is Letty Brown of West Virginia. There's other backs I could have studied. Those are the ones that I have that I've watched. And my process for this too, watching running backs, first thing I do is watch every carry. Then I watch every broken tackle back, just to force missed tackles on the mm-hmm. ground. Then I watch their pass protection. Then I watch their uh, their their uh, targets, all of their targets. And then there are some times with like some of the top end backs, I'll watch critical downs, like third and fourth down, and then also red zone stuff to see how often they're leveraged and that kind of stuff. I do think you learn the most watching every player's back to back force miss tackle tape because like you'll see, like you could turn that on, you'll just see how they break tackles, right? And how often are those broken tackles coming? behind the line of scrimmage. How often are those broken tackles coming in open space? There is a play on Isaiah Spiller's tape uh, for Texas A&M where he goes to break a tackle in open space, and it honestly is – he looks like he's, like, turning 90 degrees, and it's taking, like, him an hour to do so. Like, that change of direction. I'm so disappointed, by the way, that we don't have any short shot or three-cone times for the combine for these guys. Because I do think the, the how I feel, how lowly I feel on the running back class – I think a lot of that could be reflected in some of the short shuttle three cone times that you see, right? Guys that just don't have short area quicks. Like, mm-hmm. who in this class would you say has the best short area quicks? James Cook. James Cook. And, and, and you see that, and you turn on his tape after you watch, like I said, some of the potential starters here. Brian Robinson, Pierre Strong, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker even. And you watch James Cook, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the first back I've seen in a year that actually can, like, Make people miss in a phone booth. I don't know if you like that on camera or not. Quinn, I don't know what you think of this, but like that's that's where my head's at on this running back class. I know that was long-winded, and I want to talk more in, de- in no, depth about some of good. these guys, but give me your tears. Yeah, we'll talk about it. My, well, two takeaways from yours, though, first. One, I think yours weren't technically tiers. I think they were categories. Yeah, they're categories. Tiering implies, and the first two, I think, were like tier, but like tiering implies that like one stacks on top of the other, top of the other, so like a ranking of sorts, whereas I don't think this was a ranking. Um, two... I'll say you want the somewhat bursty explosive tier at running back. Mm-hmm. Go and look at the top running backs in the NFL. They are not just somewhat bursty and explosive. They are damn well bursty and explosive. That is what you want at the running back position. You want broad jump, 10 split, vertical jump. That's the players you want and size. Size with that. That's why speed score at running backs is the one of the most correlated to success 
statistics for like sole statistics for any particular, any like one position having one statistic, um, because that matters a lot when projecting the NFL. So I will say you want those guys in that tier. And there's more guys than your other tiers that would be, in my opinion, bursty and explosive. But you don't want bad athletes at the running back position unless you want them in a certain role. But if you want a three down, if you want a high volume running back, he better damn well be bursty explosive. So that's my one first take. And then my tier one at the running back position here, K-Walk, Kenny Walker, and Brees Hall. I, I, I see Brees a little higher, Ricard, than you do. I think they're very close, um, in my opinion, in terms of who you want. Kenneth Walker, the biggest thing with him that I love, that I feel very good about projecting him to the NFL, you saw him run behind not great run blocking and succeed at times. Like the Michigan, I keep going back to the Michigan game because it was so impressive because it wasn't the Michigan State offensive line that won that game. It was literally just Kenneth Walker. It was just Kenny hitting holes. He had no business hitting at full speed, getting to the second level, and then bring tackles, whatever. You, you name it after that. He's very good in space as well, obviously. And with, you know, 4-3 speed, dude is a home run hitter as well. So K-Walk, feel very good about his rushing ability. Brees Hall doesn't have that same attacking mentality. Like he doesn't hit holes and, like, lower shoulders the way K-Walk does. But contact balance is absurd. You still are dealing with a high-end athlete, and he's ran behind some bad offensive lines himself at Iowa State. Which the is Iowa State that, offensive line, when you go back and watch Brees Hall's tape, is legitimately absurdly bad. Yeah. It, it's terrible. And the other thing is, Brees Hall is 20 years old, won't turn 21 until May. So he was. that means back as a freshman when he was putting up over 1,000 yards, dude was 18. So that's impressive stuff. It's impressive stuff from him. So big fan of those two. And I have a tier one. I don't have a tier two. That's fu- I felt that way too, <laughs> somewhat. You know, I felt that's why I went to categories, honestly, because yeah. I tier one Kenneth Walker is my like legit starter tier. And then I have this like potential starter tier, but I'm not even that's if you're looking to draft a potential starter, right? Like if you're there's going to be times where, and I, I, I kind of tried to explain this at the top, like there's going to be times where you don't want a potential starter type. You want a guy that has a specific skill yes, set. Yes, like yes. It, it's, it's that obvious. I don't know. Yeah, so so like my tier three, which is the next tier, I have Damian Pierce from Florida, James Cook from Georgia, Pierre Strong from South Dakota. There's those three. They could not, I don't want to say they couldn't be all be more different, but they're all going to do a different thing in your offense. Pierre Strong and Cook. Cook is far more of a receiving back first, um, change of pace guy. I, I don't think he's ever going to want, want him carrying a full workload, but he is that guy in your offense. And Showing up 199 at the combine is a great way for him after being listed at 190. Like that's that's a guy you can get by at with a you know 10 to 15 carries a game for sure. So he's that guy for your offense. Whereas Damian Pierce, he can carry it a little bit more. You may not want to, th- you're not going to split him out and do a lot of the receiving stuff that James Cook's going to do. But he's a very good pass protector as well and could be your third down guy just for that role. So that's Damian Pierce. Great contact balance, just not a home run hitter whatsoever. He does not have long speed. Sudden, short areas, sudden enough to get by, sudden enough to still break tackles, but very limited speed-wise, and you'll see that. You just see it consistently on his tape. When he gets in the open field, there's just not that second gear. So, I love the James Cook love in that tier, by the way. I think I was – how I structured my rankings with the categories, I look admittedly low on James Cook, but yeah. I, I like having him where you have him. If you are legitimately going to go not categorical like yeah. I did and go one, two, three, four, five. So – then 
I have Pierre Strong, who is, to me, probably the best pure home run hitter in this draft class. He has the best standstill burst. He is so good at keeping square to the line of scrimmage, and I think that's going to help him translate from a smaller level of college football to a, obviously, bigger level of the highest level of football, as you were, in terms of he does not He's not turning his shoulders, getting lateral to the line of scrimmage, looking for bounce outs. When he is moving between gaps, he is staying square to where when he does find the gap, when he finds the hole he wants to hit, he can get up to speed in a blink of an eye because he is in the correct body position to do so. He's very good about that. The biggest thing with Pierre Strong does not crave contact, does not lower shoulder. He will be taken down with arm tackles. He is your pure space kind of guy. Reminds me a lot of Elijah Mitchell in that way. Where Elijah Mitchell in the open field, whew, sick. That's why he's thrived in San Francisco. Elijah Mitchell trying to squeeze between a hole in the middle of the line of scrimmage, it's not the same guy. And now he's a little lighter than Elijah Mitchell, probably 10 pounds lighter, I think. And so that's going to show up, but that's the kind of athlete you're getting in Pierre Strong. Then my tier four... It's probably the last tier where I like want a guy for a role right out the gate that I know he can like do something. The rest after that are probably backups for my money or, or like guys I'm not even looking to throw on the football field year one. Mm -hmm. But that's Samir White from Georgia, who is a good size, speed, explosiveness combo. I think he could be a starter. He's just not real creative in his running style. He's not a make you miss kind of guy. Tyler Algier from BYU. Talked about him, one of the best zone runners in the draft class. Great vision. Another no-nonsense kind of runner. Um, if he goes to the right spot, to me, he's very reminiscent of like a Devontae Booker, a Carlos Hyde. A guy that's not going to get you too excited, but he can carry 250 times. And, and you're not really – and you'll hang on the league. Brian Robinson from Alabama is in that tier. You're probably your best short yardage, pure power back in this draft class. And then Kyron Williams, Notre Dame. He's a third down back. Like – He's going. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be good in that role. He has good receiving chops, great hands, good suddenness and short area. But he's just you're not going to expect him to carry a big workload. So those are the probably the the three tiers of guys you want. And then my tier five is probably just like the next tier of guys who are capable. Is Zonovan Knight from North Carolina State, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, Jerome Ford from Cincinnati, Tyler Beatty from Missouri, Kevin Harris South Carolina, Keontae Ingram from USC. All guys that like, if you had to start them, I wouldn't, you wouldn't be upset about. And then I have, I guess this isn't a tier ear. This is the, this is ancillary. I just call these athletic flyers. These are <laughs> three guys who are ha, tick the athletic box wholesale, which is if you're drafting a guy in the fifth or sixth round, these are the guys I want to draft because they have the athletic tools. They just don't have any semblance of polish for the position. And that's Rashad White from Arizona State who we've discussed at length about how he has ridiculous raw rushing ability, but is just his running style, his route running, like a lot of stuff is just, it looks like he's, you know, straight off a of high school field. Yeah. Zaquandre White, same thing. The South Carolina running back, very similar in that regard. And then Devontae Price, uh, F-A-U, F-I-U, I believe. F-I-U. F-I-U. Florida International University. Probably the he had the top speed of any running back at the Senior Bowl, but he's 6'2", odd, odd build for a running back. 
weird running style, but the dude can fly. So there's your tiers slash categories for me, how I see this class. And again, so that, that I say five backs that I can put in a roll year one, four more that I could see the field year one. And so that's about it. Nine backs in this class that I really would like to have on my football team that I would covet. And then three athletic flyers, six other guys I could see the field with. About it for me. I think we could wax poetic about Kenneth Walker and our RB1 for a while. But I think we've been – we've talked about him a lot. Kenny Walker. Yeah, Kenny Walk, K-Dub, K-Dub the third. We've talked about him a lot. And it's still insane to me that he clocked a 43840. Because you don't see four three speed. None on of tape. those four three guys were four. Three. They were yeah. all mid four four guys. I mean, I Pierre Strong clocked a four three seven. Yeah, which is insane. Uh, so, Travis Etienne went four three nine. Do any of those guys look faster than Travis no, Etienne? No, no, zero, none. None. I, I, I'm not buying any of those forty times. I'm yeah. not. I'm not. You just don't see it on tape. Um, but with Kenneth Walker, broken tackle ability, I think he needs to improve as a pass catching back. But I also think that out of the gate, he can be a really good early down runner in yep. his career. And I think it's important too, when I bring up like people aren't drafting starters, all that stuff. Only six running backs in the NFL last year played even 60% or more of the snaps of, for their team. Only 18 played at least half. Like you, teams, more teams in the NFL are not drafting anybody to play more than half the snaps at that position, yep. right? You are drafting complementary pieces. And that's why, again, you go back to the positional value conversation when you know, there's only like seven running backs in the NFL, only only running like 700, you know, 600 plus snaps. What's the, you know, if you're not investing in that like bell cow type of player, like the Steelers did with Najee Harris, who ran on 81% or played 81% of their offensive snaps. Jonathan Taylor, a high-end investment, played 69% of their snaps. That's second in the NFL. Zeke, Joe Mixon, Devin Singletary, and Austin Eckler. Those are the only six backs that did more than 60% of the carries. And you could argue that Singletary and Eckler, the only, you know, Singletary specifically, the only reason he's playing that many is because they didn't have other guys to go to. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that I'll just add to that, 8,000-yard rushers last year, if you include the postseason. Eight guys. The lightest one was 210 pounds, Dalvin Cook, who is an elite athlete at 210. I don't care what his 40 times said. It was like a 4 or 5. But he was an elite athlete if you watch him on tape at F- Florida State. The next lightest, 218 pounds. If you're going to carry the load carry the load in the NFL, the 205 guys look great in college, but don't see the field as much once you get to the league. Just something to remember when you think about the running back position. And, and that brings up a good point, too. Even when projecting Kenneth Walker, 5'9", 211, right? Adding weight to, to, yeah. to get to that frame, right? Whereas Brees Hall— it's a 4'3", 8'' guy. Yeah, it's a 4'3". Like, then you look at Brees Hall, 5'11", 217, 4'3", yeah. 9'' guy, and, and he's got the verts and the broads that people like. Next-Gen Stats has him as the best prospect in the class according to their uh, rating. It's a, a Next-Gen Stats rating that— measures college production and athleticism. I wouldn't call it like they're not saying he's the best player in the class, but he's the he's one of two 99s, which is him and Tyler Linderbaum. Brees Yeah, Brees. Nice. A lot of that has to be considering volume and not efficiency from a production standpoint. And I think the other part of that has to be just the athletic testing for Brees Hall. He only did three drills, and he blew them out of the park. Yeah. At 217 pounds, a 439, and, and the two jumps that he did were both like super, super impressive. I think he had the best jump of anyone. Uh, of any of the running backs and uh, the best vertical of any of the running backs and the best broad of any of the running backs at one, two, six or in that tier. Um, 
So I said we didn't want to talk a lot about Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker, PFF's RB1. I don't think that's changing the Michigan State back. Also a really good dude. He's had an opportunity to sit down with Trevor Sikma, an analyst here at PFF. I want to spend some time on Brees Hall a little bit. Okay. Brees Hall, he went to Indianapolis and blew people away. Like his, he came in at a good weight. The 40 time was impressive. Um, the jumps, like I said, were impressive. When you go back and watch his film, I don't, I don't like, I struggle to understand his rushing style. He's like patient to a fault, in my opinion. He's always, it feels like he's always waiting. He's waiting to explode and waiting for a hole to open up. And guess what? Running behind Iowa State's offensive line, there wasn't a lot of those opportunities, right? And some of his broken tackles that you you look at and say, wow, like only a handful of players in this class can even do it are a lot of jump cuts behind the line of scrimmage. And he's able to do that because he's kind of waiting for that opportunity. But you rarely see on his tape, in my opinion, him running full speed north-south into the hole. Also him cutting up in some of the zone concepts, right? He's oftentimes stretching things out, believing in that speed. I don't love his vision compared to even like Tyler Algier, the BYU running back or some of the other running backs in this class. If you're buying into Brees Hall, in my opinion, as the RB1 or as a guy that you want to take inside the top 50, top 40 picks, you're buying into this athleticism and further development as a player in the NFL. And you mentioned his age, right? Still a very young guy. Not a lot, you know, neat can get more experience in the NFL. I'm not buying projection at the running back position in the top 50 picks. I think he's a good player. I, I, I consider him in round three. I don't love the idea of, you know, you see him mock to the Bucks at 27 or other teams at the back end of the first round. I think that's just too rich. That's way too rich. It's too rich for Kenneth Walker, and it's especially too rich for Brees Hall. I, I can get on board the back second round for him. Mm-hmm. I think he's I, – I, I, and it's some of that's because I don't love this running back class. And again, if you like need that guy in your offense, which do you? I don't. I don't know. But if you do, if that's like what you want. I don't think you're going to find a ton of the guys. So I think that's going to push K. Walk and Brees up to a degree. I'd be floored if they're not both gone by the end of the second. Thank no, you. no, I would too as well. I think the NFL is going to be higher on running backs than we are. That's for sure. I think we've seen that time and time again. Other running backs in my potential starter tier that I wanted to highlight. Hmm. I, I, I liked Samir White more than I thought I would. I liked Abram Smith of Baylor more than I thought I would, just because I feel like those are guys that can run north-south. I thought Abram Smith lowered his pads well and actually would run through players. Same with Brian Robinson Jr. I also... Abram Smith's talk- interesting because he's a converted linebacker. Mm-hmm. So he only had one year starting at running back. Um, and it has like the physical, like want to. You said lower the shoulder. Like that's, you see it on his tape. I, I just... I can't get over how weird his running style is. Like, if you're, again, if you're taking the guy later, I guess I'd rather have him than, you know, a number of other backs in this class that are going to be available at that stage in the draft. But because of what he, you know, could be because of how new he is to position. But, man, he he just is so linear in nature. And oddly, like, the the best the best way to describe it is Lance Earline's comp, actually, on NFL.com. Nile Davis. If you ever watched Nile Davis run, who was the OG combine freak at the running back position, went 4-3-4 four, four at 227 pounds, I want to say, back in the day. So it was just this hell of an athlete, but just could not make a guy miss save his life. Like, yeah. it, it just did not happen on his tape. And, like, he had looked like Tarzan, played like Jane kind of guy. Now, that's not necessarily Abram Smith to the degree that Nile Davis was, but there's there's – parts of that to his game 
The other back I'll highlight is Brian Robinson Jr., the Alabama back. I came away really impressed with his ability to attack the football as a pass catcher with his hands. Like I thought his hands were solid. I didn't think Brian Robinson was any slouch mm-hmm. as, a, as a pass catcher. I know we didn't talk a lot about like pass catching prowess, specifically like hands and, and running routes and all that stuff. I think Tyler Beatty of Missouri is one that will get highlighted. He had a lot of that experience in that Missouri offense with Eli Drinkwitz as head coach. Um, James Cook will get highlighted as that kind of guy. I think um, there's some opportunity around uh, Brian Robinson Jr. as well. I'm trying to think of other guys that I where I came away like liking their hands. Uh, Zaquandre White maybe is in that tier too. But uh, your thoughts on Brian Robinson Jr. as a pass catcher, and then maybe some of the other pass catching backs you liked. What do you, my thoughts on Brian Robinson Jr. as a pass catcher? Yeah, yeah, uh, he's capable. Uh, he's not a route runner. But he's got capable hands. He's I don't got think anyone in this class is a route runner. May- I, I, I think the guys I would say are route runners, James Cook, Tyler Batty. Batty? Batty. Batty. He's not a batty. <laughs> Kyron Williams. Those are, those are the three I would put in that role. I think Rashad White. My take on Rashad White, the Arizona State running back, is that you should move him to wide receiver and just try to get him to figure out how to run routes because he has this the type of shake and – sinking his hips that like you can't teach wide receivers to do so i would love to get him in like the sixth and try to see what he can do as a wide receiver on my practice squad or something like that damn all right um trying to highlight some other backs here that i want let's just get to the let's just get to the class superlatives class superlatives okay okay i'm trying to think i don't want to miss any of my guys though all right let's go to the class superlatives who you have highlighted here is the best vision kenneth walker has the best vision for my money that one's no surprise but we just talked about it but that was actually like that was why Michigan State had their turnaround. It wasn't this massive night and day difference along their offensive line. It was K Walk maximizing these runs, you know. So um, I think he has. I don't say easily the best vision. There, there are other guys who have good vision in this class, but he has the best vision for my money. I put Algier in the the vision I like tier. Um, I don't think there are a lot of other running backs where you're like impressed or overly impressed with their vision that will compete with Kenneth Walker for that spot. So I'm with you there. Home run hitter, rare in this class. Even with the 4-3 speed, I don't see a lot of home run hitters in this class. I would say James Cook is probably the best home run hitter. George Beck, Pierre Strong is a bit of a home run hitter. I would throw Rashad White's kind of a home run hitter himself. Devontae Price, those guys are that kind of back. But Cook... I mean, she's like his brother, but Sands ten pounds. Honestly, mm-hmm. like they they are similar backs. It's 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 like the Boses, honestly, where there's a way of moving that they got that other people don't do. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's like Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa move the same way. James Cook and Dalvin Cook, which I don't think is, way. and they're like way they're like further apart than even the Bosa brothers age wise. So it's weird. It's but it's that's just the way they move. I don't think that's lazy analysis either. Like yeah. you look at it there, it's very similar tape. And I also like, I think compared to the rest of this class, right? When you said they move as other people don't, like James Cook moves different in this class, even more different than, you know, players ranked ahead of him on your board with like Walker and Brees Hall. I think he moves a lot different. Most elusive is obvious. Kenneth Walker, the third Michigan state broke more missed tackles. I think broke more tackles than any player in the power five this past year. Super impressive. Broken tackle ability. Goal line power back. You went Brian Robinson. Yeah. Brian Robinson. Alabama back. Who do you think? 
I kind of I kind of am a big Damian Pierce guy in the short yardage. Damian Pierce in the short yardage, I kind of can get on. I know he's a little bit of a smaller back, and like you don't want guys that are that tiny, but like he brings some heat and will run north south and just. I like his contact balance. I think he can. He's a guy that I really like in the short yardage situation. So I think Damian Pierce is a is a physical tackle breaking type that I think yeah. I put in that tier. I can see it. They're similar. Who are you not putting as your short yardage back? <laughs> Who do I not want on the field in the short yardage? Devontae Price. Uh, I don't think Ty Chandler is a good short yardage back. That's uh, fair. I don't love Goodson. I mean, some of my lower end backs, but I, I mean, I wouldn't like Jerry on Ely. Jerry on Ely. Isaiah Spiller. Don't want them. I don't want those old, guys old as my short yardage backs. But the guy that you do want, I think you got to go to the thumper tier, the dumper tier. Hassan Haskins, I like as a short yardage mm-hmm. back. He carries the load well, got good size. Um, who's your scat back? James Cook. Cook again. I'll also throw in Jerry Ely into that tier, the old Miss running back. I think he's a guy who could have a role at the NFL level. Um, Kyron Williams also to a degree, but that's. That's probably like scat back's not really that's not really a role in the NFL, you know? Yeah. How about your pass protector? I think Damian Pierce the best pass protector in this class. Now hasn't done it a ton, but talk about want to and the tools to. He's a five nine rock. Five nine, two hundred and twenty pound rock. That dude will deliver a blow and pass, bro. I like I like Damian Pierce a lot. I I really do. I think he's gonna be someone that doesn't get drafted ahead of Kenneth Walker or Brees Hall or some of these other backs that are getting consistently mocked in the top 50, but someone that you give him 100 touches a year, you're getting plus production because he's an efficient player and and breaks a lot of tackles and isn't a guy that you carry the load for a full season, but someone that I think can be heavily leaned on when given the opportunity. All right, third down back. Kyron Williams. You're still going Kyron Williams. Got a good combination of pass protection and route running ability even with the the, uh, athleticism speed concerns. Yeah, I still believe the suddenness that I see on tape, the ability to get open, and the pass pro. So uh, I just wouldn't do too much more with him. He said he's trying to shake the three-down back narrative or third-down back whatever tag. I, I don't think it's going to shake. He's going to shake it. He obviously didn't test well enough to shake it. Broad jump 9-8, which is the third lowest of any back in the combine. Mm. Vertical. I think was seems like only the wide receivers trained for athletic testing at Notre Dame <laughs> would appear yeah, that, with Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and Kevin Austin having three of the best combines in the last half decade of any wide receiver, and Kyle Hamilton, Kyron Williams not even training the forty. Apparently, you hate to see it. Yeah. You hate to see it. I'd like to see the cones and shuttles on some of these guys. I was looking at some pro day results for the running backs, and you can't really find anything. Pro day results have been hard to come by this year. Very difficult to come by. Yeah, what the what's going on? I don't know. They're, 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 the NFL is, is 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 putting an embargo on the information. To... Final final thoughts on the running back class. Anyone else you want to call out? I think my major takeaways are Kenneth Walker RB one. The difference between RB five and RB fifteen in this class is not that significant. I'm planning my flag on Keontae Ingram potentially being a 200 touch type of guy in the NFL even if he doesn't get the high-end draft capital opportunity. If you give him, I think it's going to be good. And then there's a lot of small backs that are slow in this class. <laughs> there's so many. TJ Pledger of Utah. Jerry and Ely not running as fast as you probably want for his size. Sincere McCormick of UTSA. That, the, the, that, Warren. that in my opinion, slow. when you have, like, when you're tiny, not super short area, not sure, you don't see a lot of short area quicks on tape, and then you test slow, that is a death knell. 
that's not gonna that's not gonna translate. And as much as you like their tape against some group of five schools or whoever you see them like making some guy miss and stuff like that, I think running back tape you can you can over evaluate or over exaggerate the high end of running back tape when you see like a guy make someone miss, but that guy's going to be never an NFL player. I think you can overrate some of that stuff. So I wouldn't buy into that, buy into the athletic testing with the running back position. You're essentially drafting athletes. You need to draft athletes at that position to have a ton of success. So that's going to kind of tie a bow on the running back rankings there. We also have a loaded show today. Going to go mailbag, some speak pipes, and then an interview with Mike Norvell, the head coach at Florida state who had some really good things to say about Jermaine Johnson and then previews the season with Jordan Travis, Pokey, Willis, Pokey Wilson, and some other guys as well. Before we get into that, I'm going to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. You can see it on the sign back there. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's Playbook of Life Insurance Investment and Retirement Solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Onto the mailbag. Let's do it. And then trivia. Do we have trivia prep, Quinn? Yeah, we got a couple questions. Oh, okay. yeah. Let's go trivia. I kind of want to go trivia. I want to go trivia a little bit. All right. Uh, this first one is from our guy, Lance Storer, on Twitter. Shout out, Lance. He sends us a lot of questions. LFG. L Storer. Uh, Gator Lance. Yep. I think this one's kind of a layup, but what U.S. city has three major sports teams all with the same colors? Pittsburgh. Yep. That is really cool. I've always thought that was cool when I was a kid. I was like, man, that's cool. That I should hate- be. The norm, you know. I agree. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And I, I hate think that every it's Pittsburgh too, because I hate Pittsburgh. But that is pretty dope. It's yeah. dope. It's so dope. I think every every team should do that. Yeah. Every, every city, city should do that. Yeah. Every city should buy into that. Can you imagine if all the Oakland teams are silver and black? Golden State. All two of them. No, if they in the beginning, <laughs> Oakland Raiders. Golden State Warriors, Oracle Arena, and the Oakland A's were all silver and black. We probably would have kept some of our teams. Yeah. God damn it. I will say that the Golden State Warriors unis are sick. Like the, 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 I had, the, the blue, the yellow, and even in the retro orange days when we had Monte Alessandro's Beadrins, those were sick jerseys. But I do like that Pittsburgh. Because then you can wear a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball hat to a Steelers game or a, Matt, a Sidney Crosby jersey to a, a Steelers game because the colors are the same. You wear some Oakland A stuff to a Vegas Raiders game, you look like a fool. That green stands out like a sore thumb. Like there's no there's no connection at all. That's uh, that's unfortunate. I had that Warriors throwback logo, the the bridge back uh, a Jason Richardson one growing up. That's lit. Yeah, Jason Richardson was sick. Uh, that's cool. That's a cool question from Lance Store. Thanks, Gator Lance. Next one. Four players in NFL history have ten or more pick sixes. Who are they? Four players in NFL history. I know one of them. Go and ahead. I know, just Darren Sharp. Yep. <laughs> I was gonna. That was gonna be my hint. One of them is not problematic <laughs> whatsoever. Um, ten or more pick sixes. Ten or more. Uh, Rod Woodson. Yeah, Rod Woodson. Two left. Just Charles. Charles. Yep. One more. Two uh, Woodson. Asante Samuel. No. Oh, also another not Mr. problematic Pixies? guy whatsoever. Oh, another no. not problematic oh, guy. No. Some monster. I was gonna. I didn't. I now I don't want to guess because I don't want to assume that he's problematic. <laughs> but I, I thought not, Anto- not Darren Sharp. Really, I thought Antoine but... Winfield Senior had a lot. Is that not no. it? He, no, not Anto- Antoine Winfield Senior. No. Ooh, another guy who's recentish. Mm. Richard Sherman. No. <laughs> I like where your head's at. Uh, recent-ish. It's cornerback or safety? Corner. Corner. Um, Daryl Revis. No. I no. I don't know. I don't. I'm trying to think. I, I'm terrible. 
TV guy. Akeem Talib? Akeem Talib. That's wow. Good. I like Akeem Talib. I like Akeem Talib too, but, you know, the Crabtree thing. And he I, shot someone. Did yeah. he shoot someone? I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. I think He, he shot someone? He shot himself. And That's then not he, bad. And then, like, his sister shot at someone or something. There was, like, a family thing. What about? That's why he got traded from Tampa Bay in the first place, was he had, like, this whole thing about, I don't want to speak exactly to, but, like, there, a gun was involved and a shooting happened. And then he got traded from Tampa Bay. And then he ended up shooting himself when he was with Denver, right? I need to look at you're, you're, you're asking, like, I don't, know. Best I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know. All right. I do love the Akeep Tlaib chain stealing stuff. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was hilarious. That was he great is awesome content. on TV, too. Yeah, he's awesome on TV. I'm a big Akeep Tlaib guy. Big okay. Akeep Tlaib guy. He Any other, fired that's it? a gun at his sister's boyfriend in 2011. We don't know the full story. Okay. Could have been a Chris Rock Allegedly. situation. Could have been an alopecia joke. Was it an alopecia joke? Anything's, anything's good to go, but it was a joke on alopecia. He, he battered a taxi driver. Oh, come on. Can we not Can we not air his dirty laundry here? I'm a big Akeem Tlaib guy. And he guy. was Let's shot in the this. leg outside of a Dallas strip club in 2016. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I like Akeem Tlaib still. Yeah. I like Akeem Tlaib still. Do you, Me too. I, I don't want to bring up any more dirty laundry, but I was going to mention <laughs> – do you remember that Janoris Jenkins story where, like, it found out, like, I don't even remember. It was, like, someone was found dead in their house and it ended up being his brother or something. That was a crazy story. Oh, I don't. And I, I, how'd that just get swept? It did what get swept. The... It got swept. Let's sweep it now. We got to move okay. on to this. The trivia was good. Let's get to the Gator mailbag here. Appreciate everyone who submits mailbag questions. The best way to do it is go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave a five-star review, and drop a question in there. That's the best way. If not, you can follow us on tailgate, PFF underscore tailgate on Twitter, send DMs there, or go to Spotify, leave a review, send a screenshot, send a screenshot of that review to PFF underscore tailgate. This first one is from Anish182737. I'm going to college next year, and my dream is to work in an NFL front office. I never oh, yeah. played high school football and have no connections. Any advice? I like the context. That's mm -hmm. good context. I think the advice, the first advice would probably be you've got to try and do something with a football team. From as little as cleaning their socks to obviously as most as like coaching things. Like you have to do something with a team. I, I, don't, I think it, not on the business side. Don't like go sell tickets for mm -hmm. your local high school team or, or anything like that. Or don't do the broadcasting side of tracking stats in the booth and all that. You need to do something with the team. Whether that, again, like you could be the water boy, anything. I do think you need to start to affiliate yourself if you're ever going to get to that spot with a team and uh, a team, you know, a, a coaching yeah. staff specifically, um, and then work your way from there, right? And bigger coaching roles and all that kind of stuff to kind of get closer to that. In addition to on the side, learning the game, reading a lot of books, um, like Chris Brown, Smart Football is the one I always bring up first and foremost, reading a lot of books, researching the NFL, researching college football, researching high school football, and like growing within those ranks. What yeah. it isn't, I'll say this, what it isn't is media, right? I know we saw Mike Mayock go into media and then get a, an opportunity in a front office. I think the, the, that is not the common route. The common route is to work your way up through the I work for a team ranks, whether you work for a team as a water boy in high school or you work for a team in other areas, scouting, video, video coordinator, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, most college programs, every college program has student managers, has students that do things for the football team that aren't actually part of the football team. That's a great avenue. Yeah, That's, that's how Charlie Weiss got into coaching. He was a student manager at Notre Dame and then ended up coaching Notre Dame, obviously. So that's, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So student managers, um, if you're 
whatever school you're going to doesn't have a football program, local high schools also have like interns and stuff like that that you could do. But yes, if you're going to get and you're going to want to then apply to NFL teams for internships while you're in college. But if you're doing zilch in the realm of sports and then trying to get to an NFL team, they're going to throw your application in the garbage. They, they have a zillion people that want to work for them and don't have any uh, qualifications in sports. And that's what they're looking for first and foremost, honestly. So that's what I would recommend. And then build connections through that because, I, I mean, like you can go from student manager to grad assistant is a very common role or common path to take. And then grad assistant's a great foot in the door to get into massive scouting uh, roles at the NFL. Like that's, that's where you want to be. I mean, I also think it's important to highlight that when you mention connections, right, it's important to like build strong relationships with the coaching staff you work with, right? Yeah. Because as they get opportunities and they have this opportunity to pick their own staff, they're going to be, co- you know, Hiring Bring people they know and, and continue like, to bring uh, the trees. Auburn's coach, you know, the 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 cheerleader at Boise State comes with him to Auburn to be I on didn't his see staff that. there. What are you talking you didn't see about? That? No. What are you talking about? You didn't see this? No. What's his name? What's all Brian Harson. You didn't see the allegations against Brian Harson? Oh, I might have. I might have. What did he do? So he was on his staff at Boise State, I believe, right? Yeah. Prior to going to Auburn. At Boise State, there was a cheerleader. I'm not going to say her name. You can find all this stuff. A cheerleader who also worked in the athletic department there goes. She was a cheerleader and worked in the athletic department? That's a grinder. Goes, follows him, is all of a sudden in the athletic department at Auburn. When he transfers to Auburn, very common that people go from Boise State to Auburn. And then he was uh, accused of, you know, extramarital affairs and whatnot. So My God. My God. So don't so do that. Don't do exactly that, but she's a I think developing deep blueprint. relationships with the coaching staff you work with is smart because oftentimes when they're given new opportunities, they hire completely the staffs that they've had before. Michael Greenspan on Twitter. Let's move off this conversation. <laughs> Towards the end of the regular season, early in the offseason, you guys mentioned multiple times that this receiver class wasn't special like the two previous classes. And there was a lot of value getting guys at the end of the first or second round. Now it seems like London, Wilson, so Drake London of USC, Garrett Wilson of Ohio State, Jameson Williams of Alabama are all going to be top 20 picks in your mocks. Is that due to the lack of top-end talent, or has this wide receiver group grown on you guys? Let's start with that question first. I will respond first. I do think that this receiving class is good. I do think all those guys going inside the top 20, though, is more is more a factor of there aren't a lot of really good quarterbacks that's a high positional value. There's only, I think, two, maybe three outside, you know, like legit outside cornerbacks that are going to go inside the top 20, three offensive tackles, maybe four with Trevor Penning. I do think that this receiving class is getting pushed up, due in large part to some of the to the lack of high-end quarterback talent. Yeah, to me, yeah, it's the top-end talent wide receiver class is not, not what it was last year. I would take the three guys top over any guy in this class. I would take... C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy over any guy in this class as well. Like two years ago, I think the top-end talent, I'm not seeing quite the same. But I think the depth in this has really surprised me. More digging in. Day two, to me, is going to be more fruitful this year than it was last year in that there's more guys who can fill a starting role, like who can be a a two in your offense quickly. So uh, I do think this is a... I think I did the power rankings of the classes 
relative strength of each position. I think wide receiver came in third behind edge and linebacker. So it's a good class though. For the receiving class, I think there's a lot of really good receivers. I don't think there's eliteness outside. Like I don't think there's like eliteness. Uh, maybe Drake London is like the number one receiver, but I don't even think he's as good as what Jamar Chase was. I don't think he's as good as what Jam- uh, Jalen Waddle was coming out, but I still think he's the best receiver in this class. I think there's a lot of like high-end wide receiver twos, potential wide receiver ones in this class. The other piece of this, for the commanders, this is still Michael Greenspan on Twitter. Their biggest holes this year are middle linebacker, wide receiver two, free safety, and right guard outside of QB. What would be your strategy addressing those four positions between free and seeing the draft? So this must have happened before the draft. Factoring in Scherf likely leaving, he did. Jamin Davis moving to outside, and Samuel and Deami Brown being let down last year. Yeah, I mean, rookie wide receiver let down. You had fucking Taylor Heineke throwing those guys the ball. That's a swear word. That's St. Jude's. I did not agree to those. I swear all the time. Um, Here, I'll do a, I did a quick mock draft or an ideal, ideal scenario draft for the commanders of, so they don't have a third round pick picks 11, 47, 113 and 189. If they went Jamison Williams at 11, that would be a fast offense. That is three, four, three guys in your offense right there. That's tough. If, and if Carson Wentz is good anywhere anymore still, it's downfield. So fit guys, get guys that can make him at least competent in that regard. At 47, second round, Jaquan Brisker, Penn State safety. 113, fourth rounder, Troy Anderson, the Montana State linebacker, and then 189, Diamond West, Arizona State guard. I think that, that could go away towards plugging said holes on the roster. There's your, there's your ideal mock if you're a Washington Commander fan. I think they'll lock into one of the Ohio State receivers at 11. Even though like maybe yeah. it's Jamison Williams at 11, I think it's going to be Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave at 11. We'll see, though. We'll see what they ultimately do. Chocolate Money Brains. I don't. That's the guy's name. Monkey Brains. Monkey Brains. Three best football movies of all time. Why is Friday Night Lights number one? I do love Friday Night Lights. Good movie. Friday Night Lights is very good. I am also a three. huge Remember the Titans guy. Remember the Titans is one of my favorite football movies of all time. I'm also a big The Replacements with Keanu Reeves guy. Excellent movie. Are there other Rudy you have on your list, which Hell is yeah. like honestly horrendous? And I know I'm a I gold domer. Rudy stinks. The Ru- Rudy is not a good football movie. I'm out. I'm Rudy. You have Waterboy in your honorable mentions. You have Varsity Blues. You're reading my list. Good. I'm reading read your list. list. I, I, I think it's Friday Night Lights, Remember the Titans, and I, I'll think about my third. Okay. I have to say this with a caveat. I still haven't seen American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story. <laughs> so big asterisk on these. That could be the number one. <laughs> it might be my number one. That might be number one when it's all said and done. But my number one is Remember the Titans. Number two is Rudy. And number three is The Replacements. With Waterboy, Friday Night Lights, and Varsity Blues all being close. A close four, five, and six. There's, there's my top three. I, I mean, I just, I think Friday Night Lights... It, get, it loses the shine to me because I like the TV show better. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm comparing the two, when I'm thinking about it in my head, it's always not as good. It, and the movie might be better than Rudy. It, it very well may be as a pure story. But like to me, I just think back to the, the TV show and I'm like, okay, that's, that's better. That like was more enjoyable to me. And the characters were better in that one. So I'm going Friday Night Lights, Remember the Titans, and then The you Replacements. Do you have Friday Night Lights number one? I think Friday it's Night Lights, Remember the Titans, and The Replacements is actually the only list that makes sense. You guys are way too low on the water, boy. 
Waterboy could be four. Waterboy could be four. I think it's better than a lot of like the comedy driven ones, like Waterboy over Longest Yard every day of the week. Waterboy over Varsity Blues every single day of the week. I think replacements though is the best comedy football movie. You know, Silver Linings Playbook is a. I googled best football movies to kind of brainstorm. Guess what the first movie that shows up is? Was it Silver Linings? It's American Underdog. Oh, American Underdog. That's propaganda. That's propaganda. I'll tell you what one of the worst football movies is. The Blind Side. The Blind Side is horrendous. Yeah. Absolutely horrendous. It's pretty rough. Uh, I think looking at some of these other ones here, I really liked Little Giants as a kid. Invincible? Where's Invincible for you? I never actually saw it. You never saw Invincible? No. Hmm. Any Given Sunday is pretty hot. Oh, I, I forgot about Sunday Any Given Sunday. Solid. How about, how, here, here's an oddball. Concussion with Will Smith. Because we need to get one. to the truth. Draft, where's Draft Day fall? Draft Day is the last. It's worse than, any, it's worse than non-football movies. <laughs> I'd rather watch a soccer movie. Uh, we need to ask the chat. YouTube the chat. See, my profession. You, you, YouTube the uh, YouTube the chat doesn't even make sense. Ask the live YouTube chat what their favorite football movie is. I don't know. I think we should do that. I think that would make sense. Um, seeing some chats say Rudy was offsides. Was he offsides? Yeah. Not if they did blow the whistle. <laughs> uh, next on our list here for the mailbag. So this is from Greg Hooser. Only three receivers with sub three. Sub seven three cones, but speed everywhere. Why? I think they're running the three cones at 11 p.m. is why. Yeah. I think it's a big part of it. Um, I, I couldn't tell you, though. Other, other than that, it, it, I think it's the way it's set up. It's that they've been on their feet all day, and that's the last thing they're doing at the end. So, no. Like, if you saw any impressive three, there just weren't a lot of impressive three cones. this combine, straight up. I think the combine has to change. I think the combine and how they run the drills has to change. There's no way... They can, I mean, they're literally like we did not get running back short shuttle and three cones because it was too late. And how, how much of a joke is that? That they literally, you have this planned event, this massive event, and you run out of time to do drill, to do like to the do drills. the most important parts of the event. Like everyone yeah. wants to, the, the bench press is on TV, the 40 yard dash gets all this hype. The most important drills oftentimes are the three cone and the short shuttle. Yeah. And to not even have time to do that, I mean, there's no way NFL teams are excited about that. Yeah. There's no way. Like, you have to find a way to do that better. Why are we asking athletes in the biggest job interviews of their career to run? Boye Mafe told me he ran his three-cone at 11.30 p.m. after waking up at, like, 6 a.m. that day. That's not optimal. That's not optimal. That's just not optimal. This is from Mark on Twitter. No last name, just Mark. What's the value of good running backs in pass protection? It, It depends on the offense. I'll say this. Have you ever heard anyone talk about how in a pat in a debate of the best running backs of all time has you ever ever heard anyone bring up pass protection no like do you have any fucking clue how good barry sanders was in pass pro no i don't so realistically it's kind of like it's like talking about if a guy can play special teams or not if you're a back end of the roster or if you're not the guy if you're not going to be sort of you know a surefire stud it will help you see the field it will help you make a roster it'll help you do that and like a team needs it it's like especially like you need special teamers you can't just throw out guys who have no fucking clue what they're doing that's why you look like the green bay packers this past year um so you need it's something you have to have you have to have a back back in your stable that can pass protect but does it need to be the guy you just drafted in the first round or second round no that's Mm -hmm. why like when it's the k K walk for sprees hall debate and k walks not this great pass protector i'm like "Mm, he's the better running back in my opinion so uh 
that's I think it's the best way to describe it. It's like special teams. It's good if you can do it. If you're good enough, it doesn't matter. I, I, and I, I even said that when I highlighted, you know, Kenneth Walker is my like RB one in this class. I, I said that his pass protection needs to be completely revamped. I think you need a lot of improvements there. I don't love his hands as a pass catcher, but the reason you have him as his RB one is because I do think you give him 200, 250 touches a season. I think he of the all of he of all the backs in this class, I feel the most excited about and confident in actually maximizing those touches with broken tackles and and, and running north south and all that kind of stuff. This is from Connor. I don't know if it's on Apple Podcasts or Twitter. AG and Renner have a great dynamic. Oh, I think it's an Apple Podcast review. And we need more of Mike Quinn. I'll give you some more. Ooh. Joey two times in the YouTube chat asked, is Ace Ventura a football movie? Because if That's it is, question. that might be your number one spot. I mean, it's it revolves around the Super Bowl. Yeah. And Dan Marino. And Dan Marino. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that might be your number one. Ace if Ventura, it is, I mean, if it is, it's number one. It's, it's a better it's movie. Not a than all the movie. It's not a football movie. Ace Ventura is not a football movie. This is like the people yeah. like every year around Christmas are like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? It's like, just stop. Like, don't, you're I not that Ace funny. Ventura, you know? Like, the people Pat- who keep making those jokes, guess what? You're not that funny. <laughs> oh, the, the Die Hard. Yeah, it's is. like, oh, it, it is a Christmas movie. I do. Guess what? That joke was funny. Maybe, maybe never. If so, 10 years ago. Sounds I'm like such a roasting guy on YouTube. I, no, 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 not the guy on YouTube. I like the Ace Ventura thing. It's fine. Pet Detective is more of a football movie than Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That's true. I agree with that. It literally go. involves NFL personnel, right? The, no. Dan Marino, spoiler. Yeah, Roger yeah. Pedactor gets thrown out. But, yeah, Roger Pedactor. And uh, what's uh, what's Courtney Cox's character? She works for the Dolphins, right? In that, Or no, she's an actual... No, nah, she's like the PR she's, lady or something. Yeah, right for the... I can't remember exactly her role. And Snowflake, obviously. Snowflake. Mascot. Yeah. All right. Uh, we didn't even get to his question. Want to ask you... <laughs> he said more of it. Mike Quinn, he came in hot. Want to ask you... Wanted to ask how you think teams should balance drafting people who fit into their scheme versus getting coordinators to adjust to the talent they brought in. I might answer my own question here, mm-hmm. but should good teams draft for scheme slash value that could be the last pieces to a Super Bowl roster and bad teams take the best talent and create the schemes around that? Yes, I, I think that's a good way to put it is if you have a lot of guys who are conducive to XYZ scheme, you know, you got a lot of you got a lot of man corners, safeties, linebackers that play that type of football. You don't just draft a zone corner because you think he's the most talented and say, we'll run zone to his side. It's like, no, like if you're already a good defense, you kind of have to make that. But if you really are bare bones, have nothing going for you, I don't think you should be pigeonholing yourself into one defense or another. Now, some guys do, some coordinators do, and they're good at it. And, you know, that's they have their defense they run, and they – look for people that fit that defense and that's fine but i do agree that when you really are a bad team and someone that's you know looking for talent wherever they can find it i think you you just find you bring in talent and then see and then find the role for that guy so it's a difficult difficult question to answer there's no one way to skin a cat in terms of roster building but the problem is when it is 11 guys, when you do already have like a set plan, when you have like a set, you know, you already have like eight starters set in stone that you know, like you can't just, can't just all of a sudden, it all has to work together. So you, you kind of have to continue to go on the route that you've planned at that point. 
I think that makes sense. I like how he said, I think I might be answering my question now. I thought that was funny from Connor. I wanted to add some more context to the pass protection question. I looked up quickly, <clears throat> what percentage of passing snaps do teams have any running back in pass protection? <clears throat> the Miami Dolphins last year on 24% of their passing plays had a running back in pass protection, like doing pass blocking. Yeah. And that's the highest in the NFL. So, so like cool. the average is... 15% of plays. 15% yeah. of passing plays are you keeping a running back in to pass protect. Now you could look more specifically at third third downs and obvious passing downs when you need more time, but for those long you know that's that's how often you're asking running backs to pass protect in the NFL. Raw Dinger 64. I think this guy gets multiple questions. Max, producer Max, find a way to get this guy down. Thoughts on Fresno State running back Ronnie Rivers. Do the buildings no? Do the Bulldogs have another prospect to know this year or future? Thoughts on Jake Hayner? I hardly know her. Hayner's going to be drafted. I, I thought he. I'm glad he came back to school. He had some impressive drives and throws this past season, but he, he's not going to. He's not going to excite a lot of people. Like I don't think he's going to boost the stock into the first round range. I, I think that'd be. I'd be floored if that happened. But I could see him as like a third rounder next year. Ronnie Rivers, so he's 5'7", 195. Very Deion Lewis-ish. He's not Deion Lewis-ish in terms of that lateral agility that really made Deion Deion and why he carved out a role at that size. So it's going to be tough for him to catch on. To me, he's closer to like a – who's the back in that size? Who's the who's the Arizona back who came out a couple of years ago that was like tiny? Oh, uh, the guy who went to the Patriots. Yeah. Closer to that in terms, it's really not pure. Something Taylor, JJ Taylor. JJ Taylor, and even then, I think JJ Taylor is a little more sudden, a little more violent. So Rivers, I, I think he could catch on to practice squad. I, I'd struggle to see him getting drafted at that size. I just don't think it's going to happen. The prospect to know, though, for Fresno State is Jalen Cropper, wide receiver, hardly even knower. He 17 broken tackles this past year. The biggest thing, junior last year, 900 yards. Very good after the catch. Uh, sudden, I, I think he could be a day two pick next year. He's just got to get stronger. He, he's listed like 172. He just, the dude's got to get bigger if he wants. And if he gets into the 185, 190 range, I, I think he's, like I said, a day two pick. This is from Al Burrito, 97. My question is, what are your thoughts on the MSU receiver Jalen Naylor? I hardly know her. Me and my brother played Little League Baseball with him, and I barely distinctly remember how fast he was. So it's cool to see how successful his college career has been. Now That one really made sense. That one finally. Yeah, Naylor does make sense. Uh, your thoughts on the this guy? He already has a little bit of a scouting report for you. He said he yeah. was fast in T-ball. So it was, it was is he fast? Is he so fast? He, he's, it's crazy, though, like – he probably was this like standout freak athlete, and he ran a four or five. And it's like at the combine, we're 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 over here sitting like not fast enough to be a deep threat in the NFL. But that's kind of what he was in Michigan State. He was a downfield deep threat, but he runs a four or five, and so you have that knock against him. Where he's it works in college against corners that run four sixes. It doesn't work in the NFL. And so he's 5'11", 185, and really struggles with physicality. That was a real issue on his tape. I 4 of 21 in his career in contested catches, one of the worst rates I've seen of any of the prospects in this class. That's just he is not a physical dude. So that's a tough combination of undersized, not particularly physical, not particularly fast. Hate to really feel like a dick, really poo-poo in that one, but – that's a you just like put him in a body bag did yeah. you not know that he was pretty good 
In literally. In literally. He still has that going for him. Hopefully he's got the trophy still. Who knows if he won a trophy, though? Four of 21 in contested catch situations is one of the worst rates I think I've seen. I think he won 0 of 8 this last year. That's impressive. Very impressive. Uh, I wanted to look at how how many of those came against Michigan. Because I feel like at Michigan, they were coming down with everything. But I guess none of them did. None of them did come against Michigan. Wild stuff from Jalen Naylor. This is from PFF Commenter. Still... Away, someone trades for Kirk Cousins. No, I'm leaning towards now. No, I'd never say never. And I mean, it could still happen next year. But I have sources saying, I've heard sources that I'm hearing. I actually am. That the, the reason they signed him was literally to sign him. They want him there. Wow. So, all right. This is from P Buck 81. Best cornerback prospect for the Patriots on day one or day two. So. Man corners, you know the Patriots, press dudes. So uh, Andrew Booth from Clemson, Kyrie Elam from Florida, both could be the pick. Now, might be a little rich for Elam, but that's the scheme you'd want him in. You want him at the line of scrimmage. They do a lot of that the Patriots. So I could see him going there. Those are the round one guys. Day two, round two, guys who have man skill sets. Roger McCreary, Auburn cornerback. We've called him probably a very good option for a man-heavy team to play in the slot. That is what... You know, that, that is a role that exists in the Patriots' defense, so he would excel there. So he makes a lot of sense. Kyler Gordon, Washington cornerback as well, I think could make a lot of sense there. Graded out really well in man coverage this year. Washington just, they didn't play a ton of it. I, I Do you think they go corner in round one at 21? I think everyone has them going receiver right now. Fuck. I, there's, I mean, it's Bill Belichick. I, he doesn't draft for need, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just going to take the board, and he's probably going to trade back, so... I could see them trading yeah. back for sure if teams are willing to come up, maybe for a receiver that he's not going to take. This is from Joe Burrow. Where does Ian Book rank all time among NFL quarterbacks? Top 700. How is he going to do a fellow Golden Domer like that? Love, love using your five star review question on this. Love the energy. Of yeah, that. that's hot. I, I'm a Just huge fan of it. Joe. Um, I was looking, I actually took this a little bit seriously. I looked through NFL rosters just to see every quarterback that was on a roster. And there was not, I couldn't find a quarterback that I'd actually feasibly take Ian Book over right now. That I was Really? Like, of every quarterback on an NFL roster? Yeah. I'm and trying to like, think of one that I consider. I mean, some he of the took older eight guys. eight sacks on 30 dropbacks with like a, a good O-line. He just, he's not built for the NFL game. Just straight up's not. I can't, I could not believe that was the probably second most surprising pick I saw in last year's draft. The first one was the Cowboys cornerback they took. Deshaun Wright. Yeah, that one fucking blew my mind. And then Ian Book in the fourth round, I was like, what is going on? I have a good story about Ian Book. I don't know if I could tell. I could tell. He, he, his start last year, in his start, this is some inside info for you guys. He had a spot where it was coming out of commercial break. He was standing on the sideline. They're in the huddle. The huddle's going. He's standing on the sidelines. He forgot he was starting the game. No way. That's a real story? It's a real story. Ian Book? That's insane. That's insane. That's it. How does that not come out in the process, in the vetting process? There's no was, way that was the first time he's done something that boneheaded. I mean, he was just nervous. The dude was not. Did not, not built for the game. game. Not built for the game. game. So I guess top 700 of all time. Is he top 700 of all time? Probably not. Probably hasn't cleared that bar. He's better than Hackenberg. 
got to be better than Hackenberg. Hackenberg never took a regular season snap. Okay, I'm saying right now on the roster. Okay. But yeah. He said top 700 of all time. All time. He's got to I didn't go back and try to count how many quarterbacks <laughs> have been in the league, but he could be top 700. This is from FKBK. Or no, it's JFKBK. Complete this sentence. If the Lions take Malik Willis at two, then I like this mailbag question. Kind of an interesting take. If the Lions take Malik Willis at two, then... Offensive coordinator Ben Johnson better have a damn good game plan for him. Here's my opinion of it. It's a complete no opinion of it. Complete sense. No, I'm gonna complete sense. Okay. Lions ownership can't commit, overcommit to the project. Like I had this conversation earlier with someone today. If you're taking a quarterback in this class, especially in the first 20 picks, whether it's Willis, Pickett, Ritter, Corral, or Howell. Your ownership needs to take a Arizona Cardinals approach where we drafted Josh Rosen in the top 10. If we're picking number one, number two next year, see you later. We're going to go get someone better if we like these guys better. You cannot, in my opinion, in this class, and even if you take Malik Willis at number two overall, if it's not looking good and you're in a position to take a better quarterback next year, you can't, you can't let this decision with how bad this quarterback class is set your franchise back four years. You can't, in my opinion. You can't. Like You have to be willing to cut bait. Josh Rosen was a top 10 pick, and then the Cardinals picked number one overall and took Kyler Murray. And they are an objectively better franchise for it. Like, millions yeah. and millions of dollars better franchise for it. If the Lions take Malik Willis at two, and it's an unmitigated disaster, and they're taking number one overall again next year, they can't be in this position where you're like, no, we're, we're pot committed. We're pot committed to Malik Willis. We're not going to pass on quarterback and continue to develop him. That's not to say Malik Willis can't look good. I'm saying if he if he looks good next year and you're and you like some of the things that he's putting together, you don't have to take quarterback. But if it's a legitimate disaster, or even if the Panthers take say like Pickett at six, or you take Ritter inside the top ten, say Atlanta mm-hmm. takes him at eight. If it's not working, and you're in a position again to take a quarterback, say it's Stroud or Will Levis of Kentucky, Bryce Young of Alabama, I think your ownership has to say, through hey, Will Levis in there secretly, secretly, secretly through Levis in there. But if you're if you're in a position and you see a better quarterback prospect, I think ownership has to be okay with not letting that bad, not a bad decision, but a decision that's not working out negatively impact them for three or four years, or else you're going to be in the situation the Giants are in. The Giants are in a situation where they're trying to develop a quarterback that they drafted at sixth overall. They drafted sixth overall that they have they, they they traded back with the Bears so they could take Justin Fields. They passed on Justin Fields to continue to try and develop Daniel Jones. Giants had bigger mismanagement going on than just that. I I do think if you take a really so say the Lions do get the number one overall pick next year. And my 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 only problem with what you're saying is that none of the, I don't think any of these quarterbacks can be good as rookies. Like these these are projects, all of them. So you draft a guy too, and you expect Malik Willis to look great year one. It's, it's not going to happen. Like, none of these quarterbacks is going to happen, I don't think. So that's my only thing with that. If you get the number one overall pick next year, yes, I've always said if you think higher of the of the quarterback prospect that you're getting in next year's class, you're at number one, and Bryce Young's sitting there, and Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, is he lights it up again next year, even without you know losing all his wide receivers and looks fantastic yeah sure make that call but i do think that if you are drafting malik willis it's going to have to come with you know if you're sitting at four or five you're not going to go up and make a trade and mortgage future to go then get bryce young i agree with that that. like you're not going to be actively marketing you really have to then focus on building this roster via the draft because the giants 
mismanagement was they focused on building their roster via free agency. They were yeah. like, oh, we have Daniel Jones. Let's go overpay every single free agent we possibly can and make some bad financial decisions. I, I think the ultimate instead, take is – trade up for guys instead of, you know, playing smart and just building out this roster with young talent. That's what I would do if I draft Malik Willis too is continue to build with young talent. The problem is, going back to what I said about Ben Johnson, though, they're a new offensive coordinator. He's, his history – has not been with mobile quarterbacks most recent like most recently with detroit and then with miami before that ryan Tannehill, they were never utilizing the quarterback in the running game the way you're going to have to do with malik willis so you better have a good plan for the offense and what you're running with jerry goff is not going to look like the offense is going to be running with malik willis so that's my thought on what they better do i think i, I framed this before you you took over the ultimate take and i hate that framing i'm gonna reel it in my opinion is if you take a quarterback in this class, whether it's Malik Willis, Kenny, any of the guys, and then you're in a position next year at one overall or two overall to go take a better quarterback prospect, I don't think that investment should keep you from doing that. Like if you're, even if you're number two next year, like again, like say the Falcons take Malik Willis at eight and they're drafting number one or number two next year. I don't think it's absurd to say if Malik Willis doesn't play well, to, I'm going to go ahead and take a better quarterback prospect if you like Stroud over Willis or if you like Young over Willis because Willis will still have value. Willis will still have value, a ton of value. What was Josh Rosen traded for after that season? A second? second. Yeah. Like, again, like it's not like you're burning things in half. That's not even an expression. And, and, the, and the good thing about drafting like Willis too, and I push back on you not wanting to use ultimate take. People need to use ultimate in the way it's... The ultimate take. The, the, the way it's originally... The definition of the word is like final. Yeah. The final take is ultimate. So say ultimate take next time. My ultimate take on your ultimate take is <laughs> the penultimate take to your ultimate take. Yes. Is that everyone has the same opinion on Malik Willis. Everyone thinks he's this home run um, lottery ticket. I just mixed metaphors there, but everyone thinks he's a lottery ticket. So everyone, if he flashes at all, is going to think his value is higher. Is is going to sustain value in that regard. He wins one cool game next year. Yes, exactly. Like Daniel so, Jones did his first season against yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Week 5, where he, to this day, had the most passing yards under pressure of any rookie quarterback in, in PFF history. So if there is a year where he you know, he comes in, makes two spot starts for Jared Goff and flashes, everyone's going to buy in to any good games that he has, whereas like everyone has the same take on whereas, uh, gosh, Gardner Minshew. Everyone has the same take on Gardner Minshew and that he's always going to be limited. Gardner Minshew comes in and wins you games. His trades, his trade value is not going to increase at all because everyone thinks he's limited. Whereas Malik Willis, they don't think he's limited. They think his ceiling is boundless. So he looks good at all. Everyone's going to have him and covet him highly. Wait, I'm sorry. I didn't see this tweet from Field Yates today of the Deshaun Watson extension. Did you see how the details are mapped no. out? His, his 2022 base salary is $1 million, which we've already highlighted. His signing bonus is $45 million. So it's, it's $1 million and forty five. So that's $46 yeah. million. Every year after that, his salary is $46 million. $46, $46, $46, $46, $46. So 2022 season, which we're expecting a suspension, his base salary is $1 million, which is the only part of his salary that can be affected by a suspension. And then every year, and then his signing bonus is forty five. So he's still making $46 million. That is that is that is gross, dude. That is gross. The NFL should wait a year to, to suspend him. I agree. Insane. Or but they would probably or do the same thing again. Or something. Year. That's disgusting. 
The only right. reason you're not making his 2022 salary more than $1 million is because you know the suspension is yeah. going to hit it. That's gross. I mean, it's gross from the Browns' perspective. Yes. Yeah. You're Deshaun Watson. Obviously, it's not gross. From, it's not gross. Deshaun Watson and his agent are freaking jumping up and down off that yeah. contract. Even though we talked about that press conference where Deshaun Watson said he didn't even see the contract before he said, which I'm sure his agent did. I'm sure his agent saw that contract because that contract is insane. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately, I think that if I had to bet, I think that structuring was what ultimately put the Browns back in the pole position to land Watson. Because I don't think the Falcons or the Saints were all that, dis, all that off from mm -hmm. a money standpoint. I think it had to have been the structuring. I think so. If I had to bet. Because the Falcons, according to reports, were the leader to land him. And then at the last second, the Browns come in with an offer they couldn't refuse. What do you think that offer was? Significantly more money? Maybe. But I honestly think some of it was the structuring. Yeah. Where like he knew his Could salary have. wasn't going to get blasted. I don't know. I think that's where my head's at. It's an absurd thing to see. And the optics of it are disgusting. For the Browns. Josh, every nickname is taken. That's this guy's name. Thoughts on Jalen Tolbert, South Alabama receiver, to the Packers in the second round. I know you'd like that. You'd I just like did. That. Just to my Packers mock. Had them taking Tolbert. He's just a very Packers-ish wide receiver. Second round, productive, athletic, good size. 6'1", 195, big wingspan. Like that's, that was James Jones coming out. That was Greg Jennings coming out. Small school guys, San Jose State, Greg, or Greg Jones. Greg Jones? Why is that announced? James Jones? Greg Jennings, Western Michigan. Um, so Jan Tolbert feels very Packers-ish. And they just... First round, do not be surprised if once again, leaving the first round with no wide receiver. Just hasn't. You think both picks? You think there's a chance that with both picks, 22 would, and 29, they don't grab one receiver? Would not surprise me. They, they have the worst receiving core in the NFL right now. Yeah. I'm just saying it's the way they operate. The it's last, not smart way of operating, is it? The last first round wide receiver they took. Do you know who it was? Sterling Sharp. Javon Walker, baby. Florida Javon State. Walker, former Raider. Ooh, he was so good back in the day. Four towards ACL. And so then the Raiders that. signed him to like a monster contract, and he was terrible for the Raiders. Yeah. This is last uh, uh, last question of the day. This is from Glory Day Sports. And then we got speak pipes. That I'll get to later. But Glory Day Sports. Who's the best chance to outplay draft stock in the second tier of linebackers after the big five of Lloyd, Dean, Chanel, Chanel Asamoah, and Muma? So that's... Devin Lloyd of Utah, Nicobe Dean of Georgia, Leo Chanel of Wisconsin, Brian Asamoah of Oklahoma, and then Chad Muma of Wyoming. If you don't say who I think you're going to say, I'm going to be upset. I know Christian Harris is in that tier for some people, but I, I don't really love his game. The guy I want after those five, maybe even ahead of some of those. Mm. No, probably not ahead of any of those. But Troy Anderson, man, Montana State linebacker, had a absurd combine, 243 pounds. It didn't get talked about enough. 243 pounds, 6'3 and a half, 243 pounds with 32 and an eighth inch arms. That is ideal. That is box ticking left and right size-wise for the linebacker position. Runs a 4.42 with a 10 foot 8 broad jump, a 36 inch vertical. The guy had the fastest acceleration of any player at the senior bowl. He can move. That is what you want linebacker position. And he started at quarterback for the for Montana State, started at running back early in his career at Montana State, has played all over. He is what, who was the North Carolina guy was billed as? He was what everyone wanted that guy to be. Oh, um, he's with the Vikings now. I don't know who you're talking about. Terrible. 
you know, the former quarterback turned linebacker from North Carolina. Oh yeah, uh, he's got the same last name as his brother. Because they're twins. <laughs> That's how that works. What was his name? Gosh darn it! This is bad podcast content. Chaz Surratt. There we Chaz go. Chaz Surratt and Sage Surratt of Wake Forest. Yeah. So. Troy Anderson, that's the guy I want out of that out of, after the Big Five. I'm big on Darian Beavers. I D like Darian, I like D Beef. Beef out of Cincinnati. Is that who I mean, you wanted me to say? Yeah, that's who I want. Yeah, I really to say. like D Beef. I like Darian Beavers day three. Get him in the fourth. Whew. I think he gets. In the third. I think he could get into day two. But if you lit it, get him in the fourth, I think that's money. Yeah, that's gonna do it for this mailbag. We do have some speak pipes. What are speak pipes? If you go to speakpipecom tailgate, you can leave up to a 90-second voicemail where you're able to ask us a question live on the podcast. We are live. like We are live right now on YouTube. Didn't know that. We're going into this as if it starts to be terrible and you start making fun of Mike Renner's mom. We've had some where you start to play them and they're terrible. You're like ripping Mike Renner's mom and you're making fun of his girlfriend, all this stuff. It's all Mike, Mike, Mike. If you go off the rails, Quinn, you have to cut it. You have to cut it. I'm going to give you the cut sign. You're going to have to cancel these things out. But go ahead and play the first one. All right, let's hit it. Uh, this first one is from our guy, Dylan. Hey, Austin and Mike. It's your boy, Dylan, here. And you guys wanted to, you know, see some of the player comparisons that are out there. Well, I looked through the Bird app, and I came up with uh, five that are, I think, pretty accurate. And I want your guys' reaction. So Matt Corral is what Seth Galina thought Justin Herbert was. Wow. is Marcus Mariota, specifically in year four. Traylon Burks is a fat Laquan Treadwell. <laughs> Jordan Davis is uh, probably a small bear. And N'Kobe Dean is SEC PJ Dawson. So, uh, yeah, guys, love the show. And uh, what's your reaction to these comps? I like, I like these comps, and I like this opportunity. This is a great speak pipe. Great speak pipe from our boy Dylan, Gator Dill. I think my favorite comp is Jordan Davis to a small bear. Jordan Davis. The funniest comp bear. is Traylon Burks is a fat Laquan Treadwell because it's not true at all, but I think it's funny. What was the last one? The PJ. Oh, uh, Nicobe Dean's an SEC PJ PJ Dawson. So if you don't know who PJ Dawson is, former TCU linebacker that PFF was super high on, that graded super well, that was never good in the NFL. Also a former Bengal. That was just a monster here in Cincinnati too. Apparently. Yeah. Oh, was he really? Story. Yeah, we got some Quinn, stories. You want, you want no, we will wait, not, wait, we will wait, not wait, tell the story. Wait, was Dawson a monster? He was an absolute, yeah. Yeah. There not, was, I mean, great. so Dawson was actually a good example of, he he probably was, he came in the combine around like a 4-9. And he was not a 4-9 guy on tape. But if you come to the combine and run a 4-9, it's probably because you didn't do shit in terms of training and didn't actually prepare to come to the combine and run your 40. So that ended up bearing itself out. The Ja'Kai Polite sort of, uh, the Chicago Polite Combine, where it's just he's not that on tape, but it shows that he didn't put in the work, and that was evident then with the rest of his career. So I, I kind of like the uh, Matt Corral is what uh, what Seth Lina thought, thought Justin Herbert was. That yeah. was very good. That was that one's I could see that because Corral's if you thought Herbert's offense was like gimmicky, even more so Corral and even more of just like a, I don't know what's going to look like when he gets to the league sort of guy. So, yeah, you can get bored. The Desmond Ritter one, like the Mariota, I, I feel bad I didn't comp him to that in the draft guy in the first place. That, that's, that's on me. Oh, I, like, I like the Mariota comp a lot. And he said specifically his fourth year. Any reason behind that, I don't really know. That was, was Mariota, I think it's when he really like pooped the bed, right? Yeah. This year four. Can't remember, quite remember. All right. We got another? Yeah. 
We got another speak pipe? We do. We have three more, actually. This, this next one is from Katzi's Corner, I believe is how you say it. Let's see what he's got to say. What's up, Austin and Mike? Katzi's Corner here. You guys always mention Elijah Vera Tucker as that safe player who didn't really get a lot of buzz during the draft process. Who would be your version of him in this year's class who just would be taken around the middle of the first round, maybe early first round, who doesn't get a lot of buzz in the class, but it's definitely a safe player to take? Would love to know. Love these speak pipes so far. They haven't been overly excessive, right on the yes. money from a question standpoint. I think it's Chris Olave. Ooh, Chris Olave. Olave is my Elijah Vera Tucker type in this class, that he's so safe and everyone is like every, the, the, an easy evaluation, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm a huge Chris Olave guy. I think he's going to go in the 15 to 21 range, 22 range. Uh, I think the Green Bay Packers at 22 would be sick for Chris Olave, but I think he goes in the 15 to 22 range, and everyone's like, yep, really like that pick. Here's mine. I like that one, too. I, I would say Chris Olave is good, but I think he gets talked about. Mm -hmm. The guy who I really can't believe doesn't get talked about more is George Karloftis, the Purdue edge. Great take. Just has pro day. goes 471. It's a good time for a bigger dude. Um, I think he's just solid. Like, I think he's going to go to... He's going to be, and this is awful because it's same school scouting, but he's going to be exactly like um, Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan Kerrigan. Like he's just power rusher. You know he can do that. Explosive guy. Powerful dude. Works his ass off. You just know you're going to get a good yeah. player. Now, I don't he think chase, he's. He, you chase higher than Trayvon Walker? Like, could, could he be, is he ever going to be, you know, a top five rusher in the NFL? No. I would be floored if he is. He's, I don't think he's that physically capable, but. Could he be consistently top 20? Yeah. I mean, I said two or three months ago, I think he's a top 10 player. I I, I, don't, I think George Karloftis is that good. And when you look at how good Aiden Hutchinson is, and then you look at how um, talented— Well, it's just the people, other people getting hyped. You got yeah. Javon. You got Ojabo getting hyped. No, I agree. No, I agree. I, I, I think you're right. I think I was trying to get ahead and say, okay, like, so. I've been on him. Okay. Oh, you're so, number like, one. I'm number one. I, I Your mom's not as high as I am on George Karloftis. Though, so, with Aiden Hutchinson, I think he's the best player in this class. I think he's the number one overall pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't think George Karloftis is that far off, right? I still think George Karloftis is a top 10 player. Still 20 years old, too. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know he was Karloftis that young, too. Turns Karloftis, I think, could be, like you said, I think he's going to be a, a really a really productive player in the NFL. Uh, next, Peak Pipe. Next one is uh, Ryan Zielinski. Oh, little Zeland. What's up, boys? Uh, big fan of the show. couple things uh, prior to the question. Mr. Gale. We need some updates on how the workout's going. I think you had the Venmo mic for that, and I mean, I know the pod you're sitting down, so we can't right see now. fully, but I think we need to know if there's any progress there because summer's there's coming. None. Um, and then the other thing, I'm curious what TV shows you actually like because I feel like you always shit on popular ones like Ted Lasso, That's Succession, etc., <laughs> and you have a tattoo of The Office, which is like one of the most basic shows of all time. Hey so I'd love to hear some shows you recommend. Um, and then in terms of my question, um, kind of the biggest thing regarding the draft for the Eagles, I'm curious what wide receiver you think that realistically will be there when they're drafting fits well in regards to both for Hertz' skill set as well as in addition to Smith and what he's able to do. And then lastly, could you see them possibly trading one of those picks away or trading back to possibly, you know, maybe not get more capital next year, but just get more capital because of how depleted of talent this roster is uh, appreciate you boys that was sick one uh the weight uh stuff is not going well however i'm back on the wagon there i'm go. back on the wagon hit the gym today goal is to be under 180 pounds 
maybe 100, under 175 pounds by the draft. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. I'll give updates on the show weekly. Two, shows I actually like. Ozark, I think, is fantastic. I think Game of Thrones is very good. Uh, I really liked Succession. I thought Euphoria was entertaining. I'm a big The Office guy. I like Parks and Rec. In terms of rewatchability, I also like New Girl. Um, in terms of rewatchability, in terms of like single-time impact, Ozark, Breaking Bad, Succession, Euphoria, Game of Thrones. I think all those are upper tier. I think Billions is absolute garbage. I think Ted Lasso is heinous. Um, I also like Law & Order SVU on a rewatchability standpoint. I don't think it's that bad. Now, that that's my take on shows. Okay. Cool. What about uh, the, the, oh, the, the... So yeah. the Eagles trade. I would love if they turned one of those picks into just like a cascading trade down to one, give yourself more picks or, or like even flip it into a pick from next year for next year because I do think that three first rounders is a lot just from like a sort of team building perspective to like those guys are all going to come up at the same time if you hit on them. So trade down one a bunch to try to gain a bunch of picks would be a good route in my opinion. The wide receiver, I think they could use size in that receiving core, honestly. You draft a back-to-back sub, just smaller wide receivers. And one of the skinniest wide receivers and a shorter wide receiver. Um, so a Drake London, Traylon Burks. Some size into that receiving core is what I would want. If tra- if Drake London's on the board, that's a tough guy to pass up at 15-16. Will he no, be? No, wait. You think he gets there? That's the thing. I, I don't. I think three receivers will be gone, honestly, by the time they're drafting. I think Jameson Williams, Garrett Wilson, Drake London could be gone by the time they're on the board. At that point, I'm not sure I would want any of these guys in the first round. May wait to the second round to address it and get someone like Jalen Tolbert or Alec Pierce. Christian Watson, someone in that range. So, or if, if you're trading back one of them, one of those first rounders, then address it later. So that's, that's my thought on where the Eagles should go. Love that I, question. I, I don't think they ultimately do go receiver. The latest mock draft yeah. I had for them going all defense. I, I, I don't, I, I just think the, if Drake London's picks. balls to 15, I think yeah. you do go receiver, but at 15, 16 with London off the board, you're going to be investing in more small receivers, more, more, more guys that I think aren't yeah. complimenting building a basketball court. No, not a basketball court. A basketball team <laughs> out of your offense. Uh, how many more speak pipes do we got? A couple more? No, nah, last one. Let's this go. is from an anonymous caller. I wonder who it could be. Hey, guys. Uh, sorry, I don't really have much of an accent or character or anything. Uh, I don't really have much of anything since the divorce, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Uh, I got a prospect question. So let's say you're like a three-star prospect coming out. Um, you can't get into the top schools. Like Alabama rejects you, like your Mike Renner season fourteen episode three of The Bachelorette, um, but you can get into something like mid tier Power Five, Kentucky, Purdue, that kind of range, or you can get into like a top tier G five, think like Cincinnati, Houston, San Diego State. You'd be like an above average starter for the Power Five, or you'd be like a top three player in one of the G fives, for the sole purpose of increasing your draft stock. What do you take? Uh, alternatively, do you go to an FCS school like North Dakota State, become the best player on the team, and maybe get a little bit more attention? Which one do you think? Um, I lean towards a G five myself. That's just me. Uh, this I- one, this this question's running about as long as a 
Austin Manscaped read, so I'll cut it now. Thanks. <sighs> what a guy. What a guy. That's a that's a diehard right there. Also, that was, is that Fred? That might have been Fred. I think that might have been Fred. I had an idea that might have been, but I, I Fred. No accent. I don't know. Fred's off. Is that Fred? Key lime? Anyway, um, for the I, I I lean if you if you get an offer from North Dakota State, I honestly think you have to highly consider it because hearing the guys that have come out of that program, they like legitimately invest in North Dakota State football. And like where I think about it, it's not so much like play time or those things, but like who is going to give me the best strength and conditioning opportunity. And I do think those mid-tier power five school, like power, if you got an offer from Purdue or Kentucky, you're going to have an opportunity and a weight room access, food, all these different things, like legitimately grow your body and opportunities that you can wholesale take advantage of. Whereas you go like top of the line group of five school, like a Cincinnati Houston, I still don't think they have the financial resources to where they're going to have as good a facility. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, that's kind of my assumption, right? I don't, I'm, I've never freaking played college football, but my assumption is a power five school like a Kentucky, like a Purdue is going to invest, have more resources invested in their strength and conditioning program to a point where you can actually seize that opportunity more to build your body than a group of five school. Whereas the pros of going to a, a you know, Houston or a, a Cincinnati or a San Diego state would be maybe you get more opportunity to play, but maybe not like the same high end nutrition and, and, and uh, strength and conditioning program. I think you take the competition level every day of the week. Mm -hmm. That's another positive for going power five. For so it. that's like the Kentucky, the Vanderbilt route, like, I think you take competition level every day because of draft stock. You just you hear the the Nick Casario clip that we talk about all the time. He says, "Watch them against the best competition. Watch these guys against the best competition." And when you have eight games a year against the best competition, as opposed to one or two games a year against the best competition, and maybe a Senior Bowl or maybe a showcase at the end to really prove yourself, you could put more on tape. Like if you are an athletic freak at a group of five school who's still figuring it out, you go third round. If you're an athletic freak who's still figuring it out at a top tier school, top tier conference school, you're going first round a lot of those guys. Like you don't have to be like a, like Jamin Davis. Jamin Davis went to San Diego State. Is he a first rounder? Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't is. like, you know, yeah. like it's because he's playing in the SEC that he gets to prove it. I, I, I do think that you still lean low end power five for the competition level if you're if that's like your ultimate i, I think that's one of the positives for sure and when yeah. you are considering it because like north i do think though if i got an offer from north dakota state and kentucky i'm at least taking a visit because i from talking to who was it? it's I difficult to, about the player development aspect you still want to go to a good coaching staff mm -hmm. but talking to dylan radins though when he was coming out the office tackle that i think was now going to start for tennessee yeah he saw like North Coast State football is everything, like everything yeah. to that school. Yeah. And they invest a ton in making sure their players are top of the line. Yeah. Um, I, I would definitely take a visit and, and view, you know, what you're, what you're capable. The number one, I, this is an interesting conversation, but like say my kid or when my kid is a five-star, like six foot six, 260 pound defensive end coming out of high school. When we're taking these trips, I think the number one thing you have to prioritize is legitimately coaching staff, strength and conditioning, dietary. Like what are you actually doing to build my player, my, my kid into an athlete? Because we, we talk about the draft every single year, Mike. And the number one thing that matters is how athletic, like your athleticism, your size, your weight, getting all like height, weight, speed is number one. And if you're going to a school that's not going to maximize that, 
I think that's a failure. You need to go to a school that's actually going to maximize that with how they approach dieting, how they approach strength and conditioning, all that stuff. So I can't wait for my son to be six foot 10. How, how, how big would my wife have to be for my son to come out six foot six to 60, by the way, that would be an insane pairing. I mean, I think you could, if she's like six foot. So my mom's six foot. Yeah. My mom's six foot. My dad's five foot four. I don't know if I've ever told that on the store, on the podcast before. It's an interesting dynamic. It's the only reason I'm five foot nine, uh, is my mom. I thank the Lord. Thank the literal Lord. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so happy about that. I think that's going to do it. Speed pipes, Gator mail, and the running back rankings. Last thing on the show here, we have it queued up. I had an interview with Florida State head coach Mike Norvell. Let's go ahead and jump to that. And after that, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next week. Mike is on PTO. No bonus mailbag this week. We'll leave you with the interview with Mike Norvell, Florida State head coach. Now joining the show is Florida State head coach Mike Norvell making a second appearance on Tailgate. Uh, coach, we really appreciate the time. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Where I want to start, obviously, as we press forward to the 2022 NFL Draft, you have or had coached one of the best players in this draft, Jermaine Johnson, who was an absolute standout at, at the Senior Bowl, an absolute standout for Florida State this year, a huge addition after transferring from Georgia. Where I really want to start is he's now a projected top 10 pick, right? This is a guy that is going to go into the NFL with high expectations. Talk me through what you saw on tape your early impressions of Johnson when he was making this decision to transfer from Georgia and what, what ultimately drew you hit drew you to his tape and, and drew you to obviously getting him to Florida state. Well, I'll start off with this. Um, you know, any team that gets Jermaine Johnson, I mean, they're getting a first class player, first class, a young man, uh, somebody that's going to make a great impact, uh, you know, in the short term and long term. And, you know, when, when Jermaine uh, went in the transfer portal, you know, you, you got a chance to see a player that had had the, the, the flash plays, you know, they had had production, you know, you know, made it made a great impact, uh, you know, uh, getting to the quarterback, but, you know, he was looking for a, a program where he could come and, you know, really uh, have the opportunity to be a play in and play out, you know, to show the consistency, you know, not only against the, uh, the pass, but also the type of player he could be against the run. And, you know, we were looking for, for a, a type of young man that would come in and make that type of impact across the board and you know who he was on the field who he was in the in the locker room who he was you know in the community uh, you know really looking for that total package of, is we've been a very young team we've had one of the youngest teams in college football the last few years and we needed that you know older leadership that could you know really show uh, you know the way it needed to be done and it was really kind of a, a match made in uh, heaven for us you know because you know he came in and was able to to do all of those things and I was really proud of him you know, the growth that he had uh, personally, the growth that he had, uh, you know, and the impact that he had within this team, uh, you know, to, to be able to come in here and graduate, you know, as a Florida State Seminole, but also, you know, you saw the consistency that showed up, uh, you know, on the field. And, you know, he was a, a great player, you know, was a defensive player of the year in the conference. Uh, but to see the level of consistency and the number of snaps that he played in that constant, um, you know, production, I mean, that was that was something that, uh, you know, I really think sets him apart from really anybody else that's out there. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about uh, you know, what he's done to put himself in such a great position. You mentioned consistency, and I think that shows up a ton on his tape. In addition to the snaps play, the production, he's just such a consistent, such a polished player, in my opinion. You speak to that kind of older presence on that roster. However, where would you say in the year that he had at Florida State, obviously came in as a very consistent, very polished player, where do you feel his game improved the most under your tutelage? Well, you know, I think that was something that, you know, he – 
up until that point, he had never, he had not had the chance to be a, a, a down in and down out type player. He was really used in a lot of situations. Uh, I think coming in and, you know, the, 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 the continued growth that he had, you know, under, you know, coach uh, John Papuchas and uh, coach Odell Hagans, you know, they, they helped him along with, you know, some things and, you know, obviously what he brought um, and the, the, the buy-in and the belief and the desire to go out there and to, to be that, that type of player is what, uh, you know, I think made it so special because, you know, he's a very talented young man, but he was also he's also somebody that came in and you know he received the coaching. He he wanted to get pushed. He wanted to improve. Uh, you know he wanted to show that he could be that type of of guy. And uh, you know I think that's what's uh, helped elevate him. And for every scout that comes in, for you know we have our pro day tomorrow, and uh, you know that that's the thing that's going to set separate him is you know whatever NFL team takes him, uh, they're getting somebody that's hungry. You know he is a he is an absolute student of the game. He wants to learn. He wants to be pushed, uh, and then he utilizes you know that information and applies it uh, throughout the course of you know however many opportunities he gets on game day, and uh, yeah, that's that's what showed up. Pivoting to this upcoming season, I know you guys are going through spring practices and, and working up for the 2022 campaign. Johnson now leaving, not only you know, that veteran president, someone who I'm sure was a cultural leader for you. Who do you feel, or who are some names that are going to replace his pass rush production going into this year? Well, I tell you, we were excited about the guys that we had on, had on the roster that are returning. You know, we had some, some uh, position flexibility with a guy like Dennis Briggs, who played a lot inside. He was injured for the back back part of last season, but uh, you know, he's the guy that's going to transfer uh, and and move uh, out to that end end position. Uh, you know, that uh, with with Jermaine and Keir uh, Thomas both uh, you know graduating. Uh, you know, those were the two positions where that uh, we had guys that were departing from from last year's roster. And you now you look at uh, you know you. Know, uh, uh, the opportunity for Dennis to move outside, you know, Derek McClendon is a young man who had, had a lot of production, uh, you know, in, in limited snaps last year, but uh, you're really excited about his growth and what he's shown. Uh, we had a transfer come in, uh, you know, Jared Verse, who I think is a uh, uh, sky's the limit to what he's going to be able to do. You know, very athletic, productive uh, uh, player. You know, we have uh, Leonard Warner who was out last year due to injury. Uh, you was coming back, you know, for, for his, uh, you know, his next year, his last year in college. And I think he's a guy that uh, can really, uh, you know, come along. And then we have some some freshman uh, defensive ends like Patrick Payton, you know, uh, um, you know that I think has a, has a chance. You know, Byron Turner, that uh, you know, those guys. I'm excited to see what they're able to do. You know, here in this next year. I'm glad you mentioned Jared Verse, the transfer from Albany. That's someone that I'm particularly excited to see in a Florida State uniform. Pivoting to more of a high-level question, and what I'm excited to hear your answer for is you're now entering you know your third season there with the Seminoles, and it, it's been an interesting start from from things outside your control, right? COVID impacting your first season and you have, you know, the effects of that even into 2021. What are some of the key, now you're entering this 2022 season, what are some of the key culture tenets you're hoping to continue to establish at Florida State? Like what is Florida State football to you over the next three to five years, right? Because I think you have, you have already, you've already seen your impact in the culture at Florida State and how that's developed, but you have more opportunities to do that as you build, you know, build through the recruiting classes and build through the ranks and now entering your third season. What are some of the key culture tenets uh, that, that you're offering there at Florida State? Yeah, we're excited about that, that, those, that growth and really our response. You know, the first year with all the things that happened, you know, not having a full offseason, not being able to do a lot of things, training and building towards uh, to that year. I mean, it, it, pres it presented a challenge. And this last, this last season, you know, we did. We had, a, we had the offseason. We had the uh, spring ball, fall camp. And, you know, really, you know, we were one of the youngest teams in college football. But what I liked is even with an, an, an unfortunate start to the season, you know, we started off 0-4, 
had three games that came down to last drive. Two of them we lost on the last play. But you saw the response of a team. You saw the guys that rather than, you know, fighting fighting within, you know, they continue to believe, they continue to work, they continue to grow. And, you know, then you win your five out of the next seven. You saw that response. And that's what we want to be known for is how we respond to to, to the positive, how we respond if, if uh, you know, a bad play happens. And, you know, now it comes down to the consistency to to do the little things, to, to make sure that we're, we're better playing a play out. You know, I'm really excited about the guys we brought into the program. Um, you know, we've got a lot of returning production. Um, uh, but, you know, you also bring, we were able to bring in 23 newcomers here in first spring practice to go through that offseason. So the, the maturity of our team, the competitiveness of the team, the competition that we're, that we're seeing on a day out, day out, uh, day in and day out basis. I mean, it's elevating everybody. And, you know, I'm really excited about what the future holds and, uh, you know, to, to see us take that next step to competing for championships. And, uh, you know, cause that's what, you know, Florida State, uh, you know, that's what the standard is. It's a standard of excellence. And, you know, but we have built this thing to, to set the foundation foundation and we're seeing the positive steps now it's time to continue to, to, to uh, on our climb to where we desire to be early on in the spring you've poured praise on to quarterback Jordan Travis what exactly are your expectations for him going into this upcoming season you know, it's a continued growth. Uh, I think, you know, when you look back over the course of his career, you know, when he's when he's, he's starting game, when he's available, I mean, he's going to put you in a position to be successful. And, um, you know, he's a very talented young man, but now you're seeing his confidence really starting to emerge. And um, that's what, you know, just that overall consistency and and uh, allowing him to go out there and, and to, to play free and to play confident, you know, because I think he def definitely has a special uh, skill set. Last one for you, Coach, and I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. Travis's top receiver from a year ago, Pokey Wilson returning to school. Well, I'm excited to see him now in this role in 2022. What, ex what are your expectations for him and you know, this receiving room? Who are some other names that you expect to step up in addition to Pokey? Well, yeah, I mean, Pokey was a, you know, a big play threat for us, and uh, you were excited about what he's been able to do and how he's continued to, to grow and develop. But you know, also with the, the, the added competition, we had four transfer receivers that have come in, uh, really excited about what I've seen from them. You know, we had some freshmen this, this last year. You know, Malik McLean was a young man that played a lot as a, as a freshman and uh, you know, had a great impact. But you know, I've seen some tremendous strides from him. Uh, you'll hear the course of the, uh, this spring, and you know, you got guys like you know, you know, Micah Pittman, uh, you know, that's, that's come in that, you know, is a, a great playmaker. Johnny Wilson is a, is a, a big play threat, uh, you know, uh, that uh, really excited about, uh, you know, Ja'Kai Douglas was, uh, you know, a guy that was in really in, in transition to two positions, played receiver and running back last year, been able to move him just primarily to receiver. And, uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's got a, a big play potential as well as just being a, a very dynamic, uh, you know, uh, you know, playmaker for us in all aspects. So uh, we got some, some great competition there and, uh, you know, really excited to see how that's going to going to progress throughout this spring and going into fall camp stoked to see how explosive this offense looks with Travis and Pokey and those others as we press on to 2022 coach really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season I appreciate you having me on and go Knowles